know, my takeaways sitting back here, you know, when the article came out three and a half, four months ago, um, is that the big bad hockey world isn't that big and bad. Welcome back to episode 22 of the Outfield Podcast. Boy, I am excited. I'm always excited when I get hockey guests on the show. Particularly excited to have this man on the show. Had a big, big moment in his life when he came out publicly in November. Pierre LeBron of The Athletic. You might have just seen him recently on Hockey Night in Canada being interviewed by David Amber. I'm very excited to introduce to all of you, if you haven't been introduced to him already, agent from the hockey world, Bane Pettinger. Hello, Bane. How are you doing? Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, uh, I'm doing good. Still in lockdown here in Toronto. So, you know, chomping at the bit to get back in rinks and, uh, you know, seeing my clients. But, um, yeah, doing doing good here. Kind of a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of this COVID and vaccines and all that. I hope so. I mean, two of my family members have been vaccinated and I have not yet because I'm too healthy for those things. But uh, I was going to make a joke about people uh, because your name is Bane. I was going to do the Bane voice, but I can't do that from, from Batman, so I'm not going to even though I was thinking about it. It, it wouldn't have gone yeah. over well. It's not one of my better uh, impressions. I always tell people that. They say, oh, you must have been named after the, the Batman movie. I said, yep, the movie that came out six years ago, I was named after that one. So <laughs> yes, not yes, the first were. time and not, not the last time that I'll hear of that one, but uh, it's a pretty good supervillain, so I'll, I'll take it. It's better than being named after Bane Capital. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I have to, I, okay, those are, your, those are your Bane jokes out of the way early in the show. Um, your story is obviously great, and I... I all stories are great in this space. I particularly, of course, you know, as people who've listened to the show know, I do a ton of hockey interviews. I, I care about it more than almost any other sport because the sport has the furthest to go when it comes to this. So, so you had your first big coming out in November. To be honest, when that came out, I was focused on a few other things. And then recently you had your interview on Hockey Night in Canada. So you in any ways have like two stories in some way that got a lot of attention. So what was it like for you? You, you had been out to many people before, obviously, but then you have these big public stories in two huge spaces. So what has it been like for you with the attention on your story in not just once but twice? Yeah, the athletic one was the big one. You know, the Hockey Day in Canada piece was just a follow-up, but the athletic one, um, you know, really made it known to the world. You know, when I tried to have conversations with everyone that I wanted to hear from me personally, you know, so I remember the night before it came out, you know, you put off this list, you know, I, I wrote, I wrote a list, I call it. And, um, you know, of coworkers or family members that I wanted to, I wanted them to hear from me, you know, personally before they read it in the media or on Twitter or something. So I remember I sat here the night before the article came out and it was about 30 people. I had the phone that I just hadn't got around to. And unfortunately in this, in this COVID, you know, those are, I think, per personal in-person conversations that with lockdown, we weren't always to have those, right? The, whether it's coworkers that live in the U.S. or you know family members back on the west coast of Canada and in, in on Victoria, um, you know. So the night before was intense, and then I remember Pierre texted me that it was going to break at about 5 a.m. Eastern on that uh, November 5th. Uh, it was a Wednesday, um, and uh, from then on, as soon as it hit, I saw I set my notifications on my phone to loud. It, uh, you know, it was pretty crazy. It, it kind of started in the East Coast, obviously, time zone. And then as it made its way, as the morning kind of went on, people kept reaching out and my phone, you know, kept kept going pretty insane. And, you know, just hearing from from everyone in the hockey world and, and the non-hockey world, you know, whether it's old neighbors or high school teachers or, you know, in a resounding, you know, positivity and support and doesn't change a thing. And 
you know, I think you build it up in your head that, you know, when you come out, it's going to end relationships or change things, you know, the status quo that people will treat you differently. But I had all those anxieties in my head that, um, you know, I, I, I want to say it was a fantastic day, November 5th there. It was, I was overwhelmed. I had to, at about noon, I did a follow-up piece with, with Pierre and Gino Retta on TSN. Um, and then I, my body kind of went into shutdown, to be honest. I had to take a nap for two hours just because I was just overwhelmed. I put my, I shut my phone off and I just said, hey, you know what, I need to take some time for me because you're, you're trying to get back to people. You're trying to you know, you're kind of taking it all in and overwhelmed. Um, but yeah, I took a little nap and then I had some friends over and just had some nice wine and, you know, put the phone down aside and, and slowly over the next couple of days got back to people and just, you know, the outreach and, and everything has just been um, surreal, you know, and I think I said that in some follow-up pieces, but, you know, it doesn't really change a thing. And I think it's on us that are, you know, well, I was in the closet, but those that are in the closet that it's, it's not that bad and that, you know, if, if people are, you know, reacting negatively or a way that isn't, um, you know, you know, kosher, then I would, I would seriously question them as friends. And that's the kind of attitude that I've taken that if they can't be happy for my happiness, then, you know, then that's really their issue, especially in, in this world that we're in and, you know, self, self love and acceptance is so important to, to be able to portray that onto others. So, you know, um, to wrap it up, you know, I think it was, it was fantastic. It was uh, liberating for me, you know, and then the Hockey Night in Canada piece was just a, a cherry on top for those, you know, it was more of a, what was the reaction like? What, who's reached out? Who's, you know, all of that as opposed to actually breaking the news, which was the athletic piece. So, you know, both were, uh, you know, I was a little more nervous for the Hockey Night in Canada one because it was obviously on camera um, with David Amber there, whereas uh, the athletic one was more of a sit down just with a tape recorder and, go back and forth and then Pierre would take it and do, do his piece and his work, work, his magic. So yeah, both were, both were different, but good, good media experiences for myself. And, you know, both came off with resounding positivity. When I read the Pierre Lebrun piece, I read it again to do prep for this and I forgot how long it was because as I said, on November 5th, I was kind of in another space and you can kind of figure out what that was. Um, but for this, it was very long. It's one of the longest coming out pieces I've ever seen, but I appreciate it. It's given me a lot of material for this interview. The other thing I will say is when I did my whole coming out thing was on my birthday. And I just, when I knew the piece was dropping, I turned my phone off for like six hours. I said, nope, not doing it today. I'm going to watch funny videos on the internet. So I don't have to think about it. And I would tell people, you know, when you, when, if, if it was somebody like you, it's somebody who's going to have a lot of re reception, positive or than likely, just like turn your phone off. Just have a day where you turn your phone off because your notifications are going to go off every five seconds and it's going to get overwhelming fast. So that's what I would tell people to do. And the other thing that was interesting to me about your, your story is for all that we fear in our heads because we galaxy brain that, that's what people in the closet do. We galaxy brain everything, every single scenario that may or may not actually exist. I did it. I've seen it firsthand. I know you've done it and you see it firsthand with people. You know, it's one of those things where you overcomplicate things. And in many cases, the simplest explanation is the right one, is that most people are probably going to support you. And it, it, you sometimes need to see that happen before you accept it in your head, because being in the closet is a terrible place to be, as we all know. But, I mean, I think that's one of those funny situations where everybody goes through what you went through, which is, man, what's going to happen with all these people? What are they, how are they going to react? Who, who may or may not react positively? And it sucks. It adds another terrible dimension to some place that's already pretty terrible. Yeah, and I've uh, you know I've worked with psychologists and 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 you know to to that extent that you think 
you know, and until you've been through it, you know, you still, I'm sure there's people listening to this pod being, oh yeah, it's great. You know, but that's not my case. You know, mine, mine's going to be negative. And that was me before I came out, you know, I was like, Hey, you know what, what happens, you know, heaven forbid I lose my job. What happens if, you know, I didn't have a family member that disowned me, but a really good friend that wasn't cool with it, you know, or you run through all these worst case scenarios. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, through the help of a, you know, a mental health professional, you know, in my twenties when I was battling this, um, you know, you just kind of, and until you, you know, come out, you don't know it, you know, you can't really take someone's word for it, but you know, it has been, uh, you know, like I said, overwhelming, but it's just, you, you think the worst case scenario and really it's the best case scenario, you know, in my life, you know, when I, when I sat down that night after that day, I said, wow, I finally did it, you know, and you think about it through your twenties and through your teens and, you know, you're finally like, okay, let's, you know, like check that box. I've been waiting to do that. The anxiety is now gone. It's shed away. You know, um, you know, I remember the night before the article came out, as I was going to bed, I broke out in hives. And, you know, I said on Hockey Night in Canada there, I'm not allergic to anything. I, in fact, I'm, uh, you know, I, I can consume anything. So it's like, you know, for my body, it's just the reaction that you go into where it's like, what's going to, and that was before it hit, hit public, right? I, I remember thinking in my head, is it too late to tell Pierre not to do this? You know, and I had to talk to my parents back on the West Coast and they're like, no, you've come this far, you know, you just got to do it now. It's like jumping into the deep end of a pool or ripping a bandaid off where, you know, all that anxiety and build up and worst case scenario thinking just kind of melts away and it's really blissful and peaceful. And, um, you know, it's really tough to explain for those that haven't gone through it, but you know, that I think just the positivity around it, hope, hope to encourage others, especially in the hockey world that it is okay. It's fine. It's, it's accepting from some of the game's biggest, you know, personalities both on and off the ice. So, you know, if I can be a, a guiding light for that to make someone else's road a little easier or, you know, the courage to come out, then, you know, I'm all for it. We're going to get to that because your, your piece name checks about 50 different important hockey people, and we're not going to get to all of them, but we'll get to some of them. I think the other part of it is, is you're, you're involved in hockey, and everybody knows, especially if you are gay or bisexual or any member of the community in hockey, you know that it's, it's, it's always tricky to do it in life in general, but this sport has its own unique way of making it trickier, and we will get to that as well. Uh, just a couple of things on you, you growing up in your family life, getting to this point. You're one of four siblings, and as we, as science has proven, the more siblings or more siblings you have, and more children you have, the more likely one of them ends up gay or bisexual or what have you. Uh, and you also, I noticed this: you played rugby. That was not something I was expecting to see. Yeah, I played rugby for uh, for Team Canada actually. Um, you know, I was over in Dubai, and I I'm from the West Coast, where obviously it's a year-round climate where you can actually play rugby in Canada year round. So the high school I went to was actually a bit of a, a rugby hotbed and, um, you know, showing up there at six foot four, 200, you know, plus pounds in grade eight. Um, I didn't really have the option to not play rugby. So it, you know, it took me, I mean, the other uh, option is to play basketball or football, I, I guess. I did that too. I did basketball too, but, uh, it's usually either a football or rugby school and we were rugby and Hey, I, I'm a strong believer and I still advise our young clients that I advise that be multi-sport when you're young enough and you can play, you know, don't just focus just on one sport. I think, you know, basketball was awesome. Rugby was, I got to represent, you know, Canada at, the, at a junior world cup, you know, whether it's golf or other sports, I, I, I'm a strong believer that you're going to have a better athlete as a kid. Um, you know, sorry, as an adult, if a kid plays multiple sports and um, you know, is I'm a big advocate for that. Was it rugby union or rugby league? 
It was rugby union. That's what yeah, I figured. League, yeah, league is mostly mostly Southern Hemisphere with New Zealand and Australia, but yes. it was uh, it was union and uh, a bit of sevens too, which is the fast guys that you'll see on TV. But well, uh, people learned about rugby sevens when somebody from the Patriots played on the rugby sevens U.S. Olympic team a couple years ago, which. Whatever. I mean, now I, I, I mentioned that because in late night COVID, you can't go to sleep times. Uh, I have found that there are channels that will air rugby league games from Australia in the, like two in the morning and I can't go to sleep. I'm like, okay, I'll watch this. And then I decided I liked Aussie rules football better. Aussie well, rules is fantastic. Yeah. I've got a couple of Spectacular. Again, okay. hot Aussie guys in, in tank tops. Who are we saying no to that? Yeah, and marathon runners too. That I, I think I saw some stat. They run like 25 kilometers. I know you're a U.S. base, but uh, I'm not sure what that is in miles. But that's a lot. And uh, you well, know, 26.2 so is a marathon. Yeah, so these guys are fit, and uh, you know they they burn the calories, and they cut the the rugby pitch is actually. Or sorry, the Aussie Rules pitch is is to see it live. I've been to Australia and seen a game in Sydney. It is uh, quite the the length of the field, you know. It it's puts a, a it's a cricket ground. It's crazy. I've interviewed yeah. somebody who was in Aussie Rules football on this podcast, and that was great because it scratched an itch. Because I had been watching that at two in the morning again during COVID times, and you can't get to sleep. And it was on. I'm like, oh, this is actually fun, and the guys are hot. Great bonus. So yeah. for for you, I mean, your job before you became an agent uh, was essentially. I'm gonna I'm gonna explain it in 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 some. Lay, not layman's terms, but in, in simple terms. Basically, you did all the things that are incredibly important for Hockey Canada at every major tournament, booking hotels, travel arrangements for families that nobody on the outside knows about or cares about, but are extremely important for everybody involved. And it's that it's the most important job that nobody actually pays attention to, I think. Yeah, I, I you know I always loved uh, games because that was when it was a finally quiet because the coaches are coaching, the players are playing, and the fans are watching, so... Everything in between I was responsible for. So if you look at a, you know, World Juniors, for example, the daily schedule of what time's the meal at, what time's the bus at, what color jersey are we wearing versus Sweden, what color, what time's our practice tomorrow, when's the team photo, who's sitting where in the team photo, just all the logistics um, surrounding the national teams kind of behind the scenes, you know, so that everything goes smooth. I mean, you know, when I left a tournament, whether it's a World Juniors or an Olympics, I was based on, was there no hiccups? You know, did you ever walk out of a practice and there was no bus there? And you know, everyone's looking at me, you know, did you book the bus? You know, and things can fall through the cracks, but, you know, a successful tournament to me would obviously be a gold medal. But at the end of the day that, you know, at Hockey Canada, we tried to say, eliminate the excuses, you know, so a player shouldn't have to worry about tickets or does his running shoes fit or does he have the sticks ordered in time? We try to eliminate all excuses so that the players can just play, right? Because they're already under enough pressure. So that was my job at Hockey Canada. It was kind of a, essentially, uh, you know, a road manager. If you think of like a traveling band, you know, the person that tells the artist when to go out, sets up the bus, sets up when's, when's the equipment traveling between cities, what, you know, everything that goes on behind the scenes. So it was really cool to, you know, get my foot wet in the hockey world with that and, um, you know, I got to travel the world and, you know, many, many championships. And I still, you know, treasure those, the rings that I have and my time at Hockey Canada. Well, see, it, it makes me feel a little bit, a little ickier now that I, I always enjoyed it when Canada lost at these tournaments. Now that I know you. Although it's going to be impossible for me to not say Canada losing isn't hilarious, particularly at World Juniors, where it is, it's more important in Canada than it needs to be. I can say that. But, you know. 
Hey. Yeah, we had some good battles versus the States. I remember the one uh, in Toronto, Montreal in 2017, one of my last World Juniors, um, you know, where we went to shoot out there. Carter Hart was our goalie, who's now with Philly, obviously. We had Matt Barzell. We had Thomas Shabbat. You know, you look back at some of those rosters, and I think we went to shoot out, um, I think it was Troy Terry. Um, that yes, scored it was in, Troy Terry. In overtime against Carter Hart, and I remember... Remember that one, and then that same year, actually in Paris and uh, Paris and Cologne at the World Championships, we actually lost in the gold medal to Henrik Lundqvist and the Swedes in 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 Cologne, Germany. So two gold medals that year lost in shootouts in the gold medal game, and I think after that, the IIHF uh, decided that no no gold medal game should ever go to a shootout. So they uh, they, uh, they changed the rule on Canada. It can't happen to anybody else. Yeah, that happened twice to us. So I, I call those the ones that the ones that got away. And unfortunately, they don't make uh, they don't make rings for silver medals. So those were the two that kind of burnt that year. Uh, I will I will mention this because he was one of the first guests on my show. It reminds me a lot of Roy Moyetta, who works for DC United and MLS and does a lot of similar stuff, like logistical kinds of things. He told great stories about working with Wayne Rooney. Uh, so I should introduce you two because you two probably have very similar life experiences and working in a very similar kind of field uh, in, in that regard. And now you're an agent. Uh, you work for some very, very famous agents in the hockey world. If you don't know who they are, you, you can be forgiven for that. But Pat Brisson and J.P. Barry, if you follow any level of hockey, you know exactly who they are. Um, and what made you want to jump into that, that world? Yeah, uh, the agency representation world has always been one that, you know, uh, had drawn my attention. You know, I really... Like my time at Hockey Canada, I really enjoy connecting with people. I'm a pretty type A uh, personality. So, you know, the, the representation side only made sense. And uh, I had kept in touch with JP, actually represented my brother, Matt, who played uh, in Washington for about six years, Tampa and Vancouver. So I remember JP was at my brother's wedding, you know, when I was a young 15-year-old. And uh, I just always kept in touch with them. And then, you know, I, I I wouldn't have left Hockey Canada. I had a great job there if it wasn't for any firm but CAA. I'm a strong believer that they do things the right way as opposed to, to other agencies. But, um, you know, I, I kind of got headhunted by CAA and I saw an opportunity. And, you know, it was just timing was right. I'm a strong believer that everything happens for a reason. And people are like, oh, you're crazy. You left your job at, at Hockey Canada where you're, you know, traveling the world and a shot at gold medals every couple months and, and that. But, you know, being an agent was always a, a dream of mine, that or a GM. And, uh, you know, I'm halfway there with, with checking the agency box off. So, I've, you know, I'm getting my feet wet in the Toronto market here. I've been at it two years now and, you know, we're uh, really enjoying it. Well, I can say now that the Florida Panthers are managed by a former agent who has turned them from garbage to good. You know, there's a path for you. There is. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of agents go on and. You know, I'm sure JP or Pat could uh, take over a team if they times ever want. have they been mentioned for GM jobs? I can't even remember. Yeah, they both, uh, you know, and I think they're both happy with where they are and the representation. There's a lot less, uh, you know, chance of, you know, going down the, down the tank. And well, there's fired, a lot less you know? public criticism if you're an agent than a GM. And a lot more job security, too. You know, maybe one day they'll, they'll head there. But uh, for right now, they're doing a great job leading our hockey department as we grow, um, you know, throughout North America. And. And Europe, for that matter, you know, with adding, we just added Elias Pettersson there. And, um, you know, we're always recruiting and, and trying to, to get the best clients. I will, I will keep, uh, well, one day, one day you'll end up working in a front office. You'll be the first gay, openly gay person to work in a front office, probably, which will be good whenever that happens. Hopefully it's with the Panthers. Um, just, yeah. just, so my t- just so the team that I follow can, can break ground by doing things that, you know, just doing it for the sake of 
you know, doing things because they're smart people, not doing it for the sake of a press release, which I yeah. get the sense it's good with Bill Zito, and that is why I'm very happy with him. But that's another podcast I host where I talk about the Panthers ad nauseum. We don't need to do that here. You don't all need to be subjected to that. So on the other side, you have your experience figuring out your sexuality, and I want to, and I want to drill into that a little bit. Uh, what was that evolution like for you and, and starting to understand it and going through as you said, going to therapy through your 20s, trying to figure this out. You're working at this you know, high-profile, high-pressure job in Hockey Canada, and you're also going through this at the same time. So what, what was that journey like for you? How did you figure it out? What, what were your experiences like with just going through that journey of, of self-discovery? Yeah, there were some, some late nights, you know, some confusing times. You know, I originally identified to my family as bisexual, you know, just because I was, I was confused, you know, and I... Uh, I had had girlfriends in the past and I, you know, was attracted to women. And as I, you know, I think it was a big turning point of my mom said to me, Hey, who, you know, you're 40 years, I'm not 40 years old, but she said, when you're 40, who do you see yourself with? You know? And I said, a man, you know, and she said, okay, then, you know, I think that's where it's headed, you know? And I think, you know, it's obviously sexuality is a spectrum, but you know, the more I look back at it, I, um, you know, I was very confused. I think I was overusing, you know, some substances to try and mask some stuff in my 20s, whether it's alcohol or, you know, other other means, you know, to try and you almost try and, you know, say, hey, you know what, there's there's nothing wrong with me. It's a phase or there, you know, I come from this, you know, my brother plays in the NHL and I work in hockey. There's no way I can be gay. And, it, it, you know, it, it sounds crazy to say now sitting here doing this interview. But when you're you're 20 and you're confused, you know, you somehow try to justify it and you, you try and you know, make it right somehow, but you can't fight human nature. And I think that's the biggest thing. And, you know, I came out when I was, you know, 33. So it's, it's one of those that, it, yeah, it took me some time, you know, there's people that are 20 that come out and, and kudos to them. At that point, I wasn't ready. You know, was it the career I was in? I don't think so. You know, was there ever like, Hey, I have to stay in the closet because I work in hockey. I don't think so personally. Like I never had those nights, you know, but it's more of like, Oh, the macho-ness and the, the old boys club. But, you know, I, I feel like I've broken down those barriers and to, to even to hear myself say it now, you know, it, it's kind of crazy to hear that, uh, you know, I was going through that back then. Well, it, it does sound stupid to say, but that's the life we lead. You know, that's that's the life we lead in hockey. There's nothing we can do about it. And, you know, we're only in some ways now kind of understanding just like what this is, because when you're working in that environment, as you did, and this is only what, five, six years ago. There's not yeah. the same level. It's not, I don't really want to say scrutiny because that, that implies something negative. But we, as a, as a people who love hockey, are only now really beginning to reflect in a large way on what hockey is and what the culture surrounding hockey is. And you, didn't, you wouldn't have noticed it when you were working at Hockey Can in those early days because nobody did. It just was a thing. You know, it was like a fact of life. And now we, we're changing and people are doing that. So I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you for also, and when people say, you know, bisexuality, when they're actually gay, it's like, I don't, I don't care. I'm not offended by that because you will find out one day what, what, what the answer is. You know, mm -hmm. it, took, it took me a while to figure out what the answer was. And when I heard that, you know, when I started learning about it in my early 20s, I was like, okay, this is the right answer. You know, when, when, and, and I always say in the end, you know, when you know, you know, you just, the answer's there in front of you. And yeah, and I, I think that's what came to fruition when, you know, I sat down with Pierre because I had, no, you know, my friend group had known. It wasn't 
it wasn't a big shocker that I was, you know, to my close friends that I was doing an article. I think more that it was going public, you know, to let the hockey world know. But, you know, some of my tougher conversations, you know, when you want to have those in-person coming out conversations, my friends back home or that's, it's nothing to them, you know, like my high school friends or the friends I've kept in touch with. It's, it was more the hockey friends, you know, and I don't know why I built up those barriers. Um, but it's those hockey people that I, you know, and I, I thought they were going to react differently, but it's actually, you know, I was pleasantly surprised, you know, whether it's players or executives that, you know, were like, Oh, this is awesome. You know? And like, yeah, I, I don't know. I think we kind of build it up in our head that the hockey world is worse than it is. If that makes sense. You know, and I think I kind of tested those waters, um, you know, in my in the piece I did with Pierre there. I don't think it's as much as it's not worse than it is. I think it's just that because and this is and I'm not in there any day. I, I know people who are in there, obviously you and many others. And your story is not new. We've definitely I've definitely heard stories of people who are out in, to family and friends well before they're out inside the sport. That's definitely not new. Uh, but to me, I think it's because when you're in that environment, there's a certain set of expectations that are built in, I think, that are just very subconscious, you know, and you can't tackle those until you explore what they are in the, in the beginning. And again, that only happened just a couple of years ago. And this is not the first time I'm going to mention Brock McGillis's name. And I mention it every single time I do a hockey show. And obviously we're friends and I'm basically paying his per diem at this point for all the mentions I have of him. But, you know, until until I talked to him, and obviously I was a big hockey fan before that, there's a lot I didn't realize about the sport itself until I talked to him. And he points out a lot of things that, you know, a lot of people are uncomfortable still hearing because this isn't somewhat of an idyllic world. And some people like, mm, it's not the real world. Well, it is the real world. And, you know, there is a, there is a masking, I think, of some of the, of the real human issues that go on with, with hockey, at, especially at this high level. And it's, it's starting to change now obviously, as we have decided that we want to ask those questions. But that took time. And, you know, for him, obviously, he had a horrible experience in many ways. And he dealt with some of the same things you did, too. And I think for and I think also for you and for a lot of people in hockey, there were when especially early in this deck in the last decade, I almost said this decade, but it's not this deck that that decade anymore. You had no examples of people who you could look up to. So uh-huh. if you were thinking about being gay in hockey, the answer was, oh, there wasn't any. There is no answer. And that was the one big difference between hockey and any other sport. Even by, you know, you had examples in all the other major sports in North America. In this sport, you didn't have any. And that's incredibly difficult. Because how can you, if you're trying to break down a barrier, as you did and others did, how can you break down a barrier when you had nobody before you to look up to? It's impossible. It adds more psychological weight. Yeah, and I agree with that, you know, and I think, I, you know, not only Brock, you know, I remember when I moved to Toronto here two years ago, I read about his story, you know, and I said, oh, there's someone that's, you know, played professional and has, you know, been in the hockey world, the locker room sounds a lot like me, you know, I played junior hockey, I didn't play pro like, like Brock, but, you know, and then, you know, Scott MacArthur, you know, the Rogers Sportsnet uh, host, you know, and I reached out to both those gentlemen before my piece came out and just said, hey, it sounds like we're pretty similar stories here, you know, and I, I like to think that, you know, I'm going to get a call one day from, from someone that says, Hey, I saw your story, you know, and I already had some, some reach out after the article, but I hope it's, you know, more longevity than that. But yeah, to have, you know, whether it's, it's Brock there with his story or, or Scott MacArthur or, or others in the hockey world. Um, you know, I think it's important to see those ahead of you, um, that say, Hey, yeah, okay. There is a, a sports agent that's gay. There is a, 
you know, a radio host, you know, so that kind of checks the media box. There is a, you know, a, a retired professional player, you know, Brock, that is being, a, you know, a massive advocate. So, you know, I, I think it's it's vastly important to be in front of that and to show to the youth, you know, that it it it, it is okay. And I think it's it's very important to have that. And I think you, when you read those stories, obviously, I I can't have Brock on this show because I know him too well, and it wouldn't be it it wouldn't be actually a proper like interview in the way I want to do it. It would just be talking with a friend, which I do with him almost every day anyway. I'd love to have Scott on the show one day. But when you were reading those stories, you know these two particular, and I know them both very well. You know you you must have seen like oh I see a kindred spirit here. You know from all and and, and I mean for the low points you talked about abusing alcohol. Brock talks about that all the time, and you hear about what's what Scott went through too, and that made you go. Okay, I'm not alone in these in these experiences I had. This this takes a toll on everybody, and in many ways it took a toll on on similar kind of people in a similar way. And that also has to ease your mind. You know, I never went through anything like that, thankfully, but I know other people have. And when they see that story, you know, that'll make them go, "Okay, I know I'm not the only one who's gone through this." You know, it's that that kindred spirit aspect that takes something very difficult and makes it slightly easier to to stomach. Yeah, I think it was about a month before I sat down with Pierre that I reached out to, to Scott through social media and just said, hey, I saw your story. You don't know me, but uh, I'm about to do a, a coming out piece in The Athletic and, you know, here's my background. We hopped on the phone, uh, first time I've ever talked to him, and we chatted for an hour and a half. And he said, Bain, it sounds exactly like what I went through in the days before. And, you know, he'd text me the night before and say, hey, you know what, I, I know exactly how you're feeling. And make sure you're taking some time for yourself tomorrow that, you know, you can get back to the people whenever. And it was exactly laid out, you know, and I've never met Scott I, with COVID. I've only talked to him on the phone and we live in the same city. You know, I can't, I look forward to the day when I can, you know, have him and Brock and buy them a beer, you know, and just say, Hey, thanks for the help along the way. Cause it was the same with Brock. I reached out and said, here's the story because obviously I mentioned them, them both in the story um, as, you know, kind of part of the network, if you want to say. And I, I, like I said, I hope that, you know, some, someone going forward, whether it's a player or another executive or an agent or you you name it, somewhere in the in the sports hockey world that someone's like, hey, Bane, I saw your story and I can walk them through it. You know, it's almost like passing it on, you know, of just uh, good faith and just making sure that, you know, we all have each other's back. And, you know, I think I think that's an important piece to it. Let's talk about some of the notable people who get name checked in your piece. And, it, and they're very notable. Um, not not every day you get Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid together in a non-hockey, like, who's the best player right now kind of setting. Because, obviously, you know both of them for working in Hockey Canada. It would be impossible not to. And I want to talk about this specifically because it, it is a fascinating point to me about not just this particular issue, but hockey in general and how the biggest and best players are not as... I don't want to say the word open. That's not the right word, but... As, as visible as you would say in other sports, but for you to get positive messages from those two um, who obviously are at the pinnacle of this sport and will be for some time, that also had to put you at ease because it probably made everything easier once you went down the line after that. Yeah, you know, those two, especially, you know, Connor, um, you know, it's funny. I have six gold medals from Hockey Canada and three are with Sydney on the team and three are with Connor on the team and none together. Um, you know, so I know they were disappointed. I hope there isn't one in 2022. Yeah, they were disappointed in 2018 when they couldn't go and we had to go with, uh, you know, the KHL team and the European guys that we had uh, for the Pyeongchang Olympics. But 
um, you know, it's funny. I look back at my time at Hockey Canada and Sid and I are the same age and, you know, Connor's 10 years younger than me. And I remember when Connor came as this, you know, young 15 year old to the under 18s and just played his exceptional year in Erie. You know, I always threaten him that I've got a hair, a photo of him with a Justin Bieber haircut that I'll release if he isn't nice to me. So, uh, you know, both those guys are, well, that might actually get him to show some personality, which I would appreciate. Yeah, everyone thinks that he doesn't have the personality, but Connor is one of the biggest hearts. He just, you know, has different ways of showing it. And he just, you know, I think he's been a lot better this year in the media. And, uh, you know, but, you know, besides the fact, I think, you know, he's got a bit misunderstood there. And even Sid, you know, can come off pretty serious. But when you get those guys on a golf course or, you know, around a restaurant or a lake or something like that, and they're with, you know, around friends and family, they're, they're two of the best out there. And, uh, you know, to have those two, you know, obviously it's one thing for them to support me uh, privately as friends, you know, and through my Hockey Canada days. But when I ask them to to be a part of the article, you know, to tie their, you know, I hate to say it, multi-million dollar brands, both of them, um, to my cause and to to the LGBTQ plus cause, you know, there was, there was without any hesitation. And I think that just goes to show um, the support that there is, you know. So maybe there's someone within the Edmonton Oilers or within – you know, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins now that goes, okay, my captain's cool with this, you know, and, you know, I, I just think it, it helps the hockey world in general. And for those two, especially, you know, Morgan and, and Tyson or, or, you know, Morgan Riley and Tyson Berry are obviously massive friends as well and, and clients, you know, and, um, you know, for those two as well, that's just been, you know, to read their statements in the article, you know, I teared up when reading it because obviously I didn't get to see it before it was published. So, you know, especially what Morgan and, you know, Connor and Tyson and those guys, had to say and just their level of support and um, to lend their name and their brand and, and just everything I think was, was huge for helping break down barriers. Cause you know, I, I'm a, I don't want to say I'm a nobody, but like I'm not known in the hockey world. You know, those guys are, as soon as you tie Connor and Sid and Morgan and Tyson to it, then it, then it becomes a story, you know, and that's, that's where, you know, Pierre wanted to go with it to show that the NHL, you know, that um, there is some players, well, most players that I know are, on board and comfortable and willing to lend their name to it. And, you know, let's just get the, get the conversations out there and Hey, let's, let's see where it goes. Well, I will say that something else I've learned through the years of being out and learning about this before homophobia and bigotry often doesn't stay quiet. It's pretty loud. Bigots don't like to hide the fact that they're bigots, you know, it's, it's the well-meaning silent majority to quote a terrible U S president, you know, that is where, you know, it, it comes in like the people who in the end are positive about it are more often than not quiet. And it's the losers who uh, take up all the oxygen. I have to mention somebody else who, who gets mentioned in this piece and it's not a surprise, uh, but it's a Pittsburgh Penguins tie. I'm still getting used to saying that it's very weird. Uh, you talked of course with Brian Burke who has obviously direct connections to it. Brendan Burke is, you know, who played a huge role in, in Brock's story. And, and uh, you talk with Brian, of course, and, you know, you, we, we think Brian Burke is, is X, Y, and Z, but, I mean, one area where obviously he's been great is with this. And uh, what were those talks like with him? Yeah, Brian, uh, you know, is obviously a huge advocate with what his son, you know, rest in peace, Brendan, went through there with, with his coming out story and the You Can Play project that they've started and then since passed, passed uh, hands to. Um, but, you know, Brian is just... He said, okay, he sat me down and just said, okay, tell me your story. And he said, okay, so who's, who's the brother or who's the uncle that, you know, is going to disown you from the family? Like, where's, where's the anxiety here? And I said, Brian, I don't have any. I've told my whole family and they're all on board and supportive. He goes, well, then why are you even here? You know, like, you're good. The hockey world's ready for this. He goes, I'll, I'll have your back. And, 
you know, I think it's important. You know, his son was a big influence for me. You know, we talked earlier about Brock and um, Brock and Scott there um, and me seeing them and being able to relate to those in the hockey field specifically. But Brendan Burke was the one that originally did that. You know, when I was 21, I think he's a, he was a, a year younger than me. So, you know, he was 20, 20 years old going on Sports Center uh, with James Duthie there. And I watched that interview a few times since my story came out. And it's it's eerily similar to uh, the one I did with Pierre and even with David Amber, you know, and I think, yeah, you know, Brendan was, was huge. And so to, to not reach out to Berkey in the same city and share a few beers and uh, just talk, you know, I thought it was going to be a 20 minute conversation and I stayed in his backyard for, for two hours. And we just talked about what I can expect on coming out day, what I can expect, you know, media follow up, what, you know, the, the naysayers, the, as you said, the squeaky wheel gets the grease a lot of the time, you know, I could hear a thousand, you know, proud of you and congratulation texts and you get one Twitter DM or something like that. And you know, that's negative. And I think it's human nature to only focus on the negative, but I've really tried to change my mindset that, you know, don't even give those, those haters or trolls or whatever you want to call it, uh, bigots, um, the time of day. And you know what, in this, in this world, that's, that's their issue. And I feel sad for those guys that can't see what happiness and acceptance and, and everything means. Um, you know, and I think, Sports and hockey is kind of the last frontier there. But, you know, Berkey, everyone thinks he's this gruff, tough, like he comes off on Sportsnet, but he's, uh, he's a big softy, especially when you well, get Well, he did come off on Sportsnet because he's not there anymore. Although, again, it's still weird to say he works for the Penguins. I'm still getting know, used to that. I know, I know. But, but, but what the thing about Brian Burke is when you mentioned the initial response, I'm like, that sounds like something Brian Burke would say and exactly yeah. how he would say it. Even yeah, in this sure. world, it's very on brand for him. Yeah, and I showed up about three minutes late for the meeting because he told me he was on a Zoom call. So he said, uh, you know, he said, just make your way in the backyard. This was in the summer, uh, or it was in like September, I think, before I did the interview. And he said, oh, just here's my address. I'll see you in the backyard. I'm just wrapping up a Zoom call, so I'll be a few minutes late. So I naturally was nervous, and I was a few minutes late. And I remember I came around the corner, and he was sitting there just staring at me. <laughs> he said, what time does the 5 o'clock meeting start? And I said, oh, boy, it was like 5.03. And I'm like, you told me you were going to be late. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. So oh. it, it didn't get off to the best start, but uh, by the end of it, it was uh, it was great to sit down with him. And just another, you know, like my conversations with Brock, like my conversations with, with Scott MacArthur, like my conversations with, you know, my family, um, it's just, uh, more reassurance in your mind that you're doing the right thing and that you know you're you're on the right path and you know it just just goes to show that you know some encouragement and maybe a little kick in the butt is uh, is all we need to to really you know come out and and live your truth i wonder if brian burke is that dude who goes in every organization he's in sets the clocks like five minutes early that's that's a that's a that's a a story i remember from watching my nfl teams uh Head head honcho do that, and it got really annoying really fast. But uh, anyway. yeah, luckily I was inter- I was interviewing him more than he was interviewing me. I wouldn't want it the other way. I, I, I uh, you know I wouldn't want to show up late if I was a Pittsburgh Penguin. But uh, luckily I was the one mm-hmm. asking most most of the questions that day. So it's, you it's don't all have good. to worry about you don't have to worry about that. Uh, well, maybe well maybe you will in the future. I don't know, but it's possible right now that you can you don't have to worry about that. Uh, do you have any person that you came out to where the reaction wasn't what you expected? What you know, I, I always tell the story, and my sister was like her reaction when I told her was it was a good reaction. I'm not saying it was bad. It was just that she was more shocked than anything else. Uh, do you have a reaction I, from somebody where you were like, "Wow, I didn't expect, they didn't see that coming." I think that was their reaction a lot of time. There's you know, there's countless ones where um, you know, off the top of my head, I can't really recall, but a lot of them were the, that same of like, "Wow, this kind of 
caught me off guard, you know, because I think you build it up in your head that, and when you say to someone, you know, because I'm a pretty, uh, you know, jokester, up, up, upbeat, positive guy, and um, you know, just people were just like, wow, uh, you know, I thought you were going to tell me you were terminally ill, or I thought you were going to tell me something, you know, and I don't mean to discredit it, but more serious. They're like, that's it, and I'm like, yeah, and they're like, oh, perfect. Like, who cares, you know? But, like, I think you build it up in your head that someone's going to be, like, I'm not okay with this and storm out of the room, which I never had with any of my close friends or family or anyone that, you know, now knows. And, you know, it's not, um, you know, I never really had one of those where it's, like, you know, more it was just shock and, like, oh, that's it, almost underplaying it than anything. Yes. So I want to ask you now this question. Now that you're in this space, and because there are not many people in this space yet, the numbers are still very small, uh, you kind of have a, a role now to play in making this sport better uh, for this community specifically because, again, the numbers are small and the people who are in it have kind of, you know, have kind of assumed this responsibility, not like anybody could do what Brock's doing, who hustles more than almost anybody else I know. But everybody who's out in hockey kind of feels like now we have a responsibility to try to push this sport in the right direction and nudge it that way. So what does that feel like for you? Do you feel like you kind of have that responsibility or you've assumed some of that responsibility since you've come out? Yeah, I think assumed, you know, and I'm ready. You know, I wouldn't have done it so publicly if I wasn't. You know, I could have just kept it with my network and, you know, but I think it's important to, like we talked about before, have someone ahead of you that has some broad shoulders and can can be, you know, that, I don't want to say shining light, but example, you know what I mean? And yeah, I do feel a burden of, wanting to help and break down barriers. And, you know, I, I would love to team up with Brock and, and Scott and you can play and you name it. You know, I want to, that's why this, this COVID sucks because you can't get out and do stuff. You can't be at pride nights. You can't, you know, and unfortunately we're a ways away from even fans entering in Canada here. So, uh, I, well, you know, well, in Canada, not, not, not here. No, I know, but I can't even get down there without coming back here for a long quarantine stay. So yeah, you know, don't do that. Um, don't do that. Yeah, to, to answer your question, you know, yeah, I do feel a responsibility, I would say, to to help, you know, and I already have. I've, I've had a lot of messages of people that are struggling or, you know, I've got a Zoom call next week with a player and, uh, you know, his family that are struggling to come out and think that they need to quit the game because their son is about to come out as gay, you know, and I think those are important to to have a sounding board for um, for those that don't have a voice and think that the game, the great game of hockey, isn't for them, and just because they're gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's sadly, it's 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 a pro, it's a big problem. There there are a lot of good people in this sport who left it because they couldn't be in it because they they thought they couldn't be in it because they yeah. were gay. And, and 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 I mean that was and it still is a problem and it's something we we definitely have to solve. So I'm going to tie into this then. You are in charge of this at the NHL office for a day. You take Kim Davis's job, basically. So what are you doing then? What, what is, the, what is the, the first thing that is on your mind saying, we need to do this to make this sport better? What, like, what, is, that, what is that thing? Because after talking with so many people, I kind of have an idea of what I would do. But what would you do? I think it's educating, uh, Matt. I think it's 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 humanizing. It's whether it's me doing a presentation with Brock or, you know, because everyone thinks that it it doesn't apply to them. You know, the old coach's model when the coach comes in and yells in the intermission, hey, we got to work harder and back check. Everyone looks around the room. Well, he's not talking to me, you know. And I think that's important to be able to to put a face to it and a, and a cause, you know. So say 
you know, using me as an example, you go, okay, yeah, this is the guy that came out in the athletic and is supported by Connor and Sid and Morgan and Tyson. And, you know, now, now when someone says some language, they go, Hey, you know, that's not cool. And I think we need to change some of the language around, you know, the casual slurs that I don't think are directed at the community, but just are way too common, you know? And I think that's, I think that's key is that, you know, it's humanizing it and um, whether it's presentations or education, um, you know, I know a lot of the players, you know, are some of my great friends that weren't mentioned in the article, you know, through my time at Hockey Canada and various other events. Um, So, you know, I think it's, you know, there is a lot more acceptance out there. But again, if you don't bring up the questions, you're not going to know the answers, you know, so there almost has to be some uncomfortable conversations in order to get the true thoughts out, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I, I find it interesting, like, because one of the things I've always thought that they could, that could happen, and I don't, and you being an agent, you might have more ideas as to why this hasn't happened yet, but I've always wondered, you know, for, for some of these bigger players, it doesn't even have to be Conor McDavid, but it can be anybody. You know, Morgan Riley was in a pride parade with Kyle Dubas, so I will give him as example, perfect example. You know, why can't and why hasn't it happened where we see Morgan Riley go to some of these, you know, younger players, like any number of places you can go in Toronto and talk to these young players and say, hey, this kind of stuff, we used to say it in hockey, I regret saying it, we don't say it anymore, that kind of thing. Why hasn't that happened yet? And why can't it happen? Because that, to me, would, would do a lot. Because these players idolize NHL players. And I know Brock's talked about how it's, you know, it's the junior players, but let's, let's put that aside for a second. Why couldn't it be somebody like Morgan Riley going to a bunch of 12, 13-year-olds and saying, hey, I know you may have heard this language. Yeah, we don't say that anymore. And they'll go, oh, if Morgan Riley says, no, we can't say that anymore, then they won't say it anymore. Yeah, and, we, you know, Morgan and I, especially as a client, and Tyson, you know, for that matter, have floated around the ideas of, of doing some sort of education with them involved. Um, that's still in the grassroots effect. But, um, you know, I think, you know, Morgan himself was a huge advocate before I was even at HOP, before I was even at CAA. You know, I worked with Morgan at the World Juniors and World Championships, and, you know, that photo with Kyle Dubas was before he knew his, his, someone on his agency team was gay. You know, Morgan was... His, his parents started with education. His dad, Andy, in Vancouver is obviously a very liberal, free-thinking city. Um, and I asked Morgan that. I said, oh, like, you know, how, how you know, you, you seem very open and you aren't asked to go on the Pride Parade, but you do with Dubis. You don't, you know, you don't, it's not a forced old team volunteer thing. And I'm here with the T-shirt on. Like, Morgan truly believes it. So, you know, he was also a huge advocate for me and a sounding board. So, you know, there is, I think it'd be important, you know, because people can hear from me, but if you hear from an NHL pro, you know, or someone you idolize, like a Connor or a, a you know, a Sid for that matter, or Morgan or Tyson Berry, you know, I think um, it's something that would be very valuable, whether it's in the GTHL up here or minor hockey rings or something through USA Hockey or Hockey Canada, you know, to, to kind of modernize it, if that makes sense. You know, we've all watched the, the, um, you know, the dialogue and the, the, the training protocols and stuff that, you know, I remember I did as an employee at Hockey Canada, but it's pretty generic. You know, if you could tie it to the modern world of Instagram and social media and throw in a player like Morgan Riley that's in his prime and an agent like myself or Brock or, or whichever, I think that's only a value add so that they can, the young, the, you know, the young youth can really relate to it. And um, I agree that star power is power. And, um, you know, if we could ever get those guys we could get that ever out of the infancy stage to get some of those guys involved with myself on some education and training. I think that's only going to help push the needle. 
because I think I think that's the that's the next step. Because as much as I, I as much as you know, Pride nights are are fine. I mean, a rainbow T-shirt isn't in the end making this any better. You know, that's the next step, and I hope it's a step that is is taken and is considered. Because as I have heard, it's a little bit harder than it should be for getting these things off the ground. I want to ask another another question in in that vein. And you would know this as an agent, and I've always wondered it. Some of the, the talk about people not coming out have to do with, like, well, what, how does this affect me from, you know, these, these athletes from a business perspective? How does this affect endorsements? How does this affect X, Y, and Z? And particularly, and I'll give the hockey example. You know, we talk about young gay men more than likely aren't going to have a family at this point, right? More than likely have disposable income. I, I, and we've seen that story before. And they like giving their money to places that support their community. And for the longest time, that wasn't sports, you know? So to me, I think it's, and, and we've seen it with not just Megan Rapinoe, but almost anybody who comes out in sports that is any profile gets something quickly. Maybe it's with an underwear company because it's the gays, but again, go along with the example. Like that's the thing I think that this sport really, and it's still based on ticket revenue in many ways, you know, getting somebody out they that player would get killing in endorsements. The companies would line up behind him, and again, for also it attracts that that group of people that don't often go to your games to start going to your games, right? You follow, and I think that that's like I always wondered why would people say endorsements are a problem or this is a problem? It wouldn't be. They'd actually make more money if they came out because these companies want to line up behind this. Whether their intentions are good or not, they still will do it, and there's there's money behind that, right? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that um, you know, I, yeah, it would be a dream for marketing, but unfortunately, there still is some companies that stay away from the difference. You know, they want the prototypical, you know, family man with the two kids, with the picture perfect family and the clean slate. You know, it's it's still at a point, um, you know, I think there would be some companies that are all over it, but having work in the field, I don't think that it would be as over the top um, resounding from an endorsement side as you think it would be. And I'm not trying to create controversy there, but I think that, you know, there is some people that just stay away from difference, whether it's sexuality or tattoos or attitude or social media views or whatever, it's different than, this you know prototypical white male and um you know i i just you know i may be wrong i hope i hope i'm wrong um but i think that's one of the things that may be keeping a player in you know until after their their earning window you know of big money whether it's contracts or endorsements is is done and um i hope i'm wrong on that and um you know i would love especially in my field as an agent i would love to represent an openly gay player and explore you know marketing opportunities for them because i think you know, once you get out of the headspace of the prototypical, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, routine endorsements, then, you know, that's where you can start to get creative and draw in new fans and whether it's in buildings or on TV or through merchandise or whatever. And, you know, but that's also a big, a big burden for a current player to, uh, to wear. So, you know, I, I, I think, you know, to round out my answer there that, yeah, I think there could be some marketing opportunities for an openly gay player, but I don't know. I, I still think that we've got a ways to go in the sport for that to be openly accepted. I th still think there's some, some roadblocks, but I think what I'm doing and what Brock and what Scott MacArthur and what yourself and, 
you know, others that are, are bringing those questions to light and bringing the issues up front of, you know, asking the questions, why wouldn't it be okay? And unless there's a good answer, then, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, we're helping push that needle there. And I hope, you know, I think we're better than we were two years ago. And I think we're going to be better a year from now. And I think we're going to be more accepting. And I'm just hoping to add um, to that, you know. I don't know why companies would turn it down because, again, you're turning down free money. Like, just, just from a business perspective, and I didn't go to any sort of business school. I hated the, the business economics classes I took. You know, like, why would you turn down free money from people who have disposable income? It's just, it makes no sense to me the why, why anybody would do that. Yeah, I think you and I are both very liberal thinking, you know, and um, unfortunately there's, there's still people out there that, you know, whether they're non-hockey fans or, or whichever, that still don't think that way. And I think, you know, you and I, uh, you know, the nature of your podcast is hockey fans that are, are, you know, part of the community, the LGBTQ plus community. And I think, you know, we're a niche group that are very open-minded and thinking and that sexuality doesn't matter. But unfortunately there's still a, a vast majority that, you know, that, that aren't open to that. And there's some spots, bars in the USA that you and I wouldn't feel comfortable going to in the Midwest or wherever or in the South that, you know, isn't as accepting and, and open as say where we're from or our family. So I think you always have to be cognizant of that, of that, you know, although we may think that, um, you know, there's people that strongly think the other way and you can see that in, in online comments or in, you know, um, you know, what's going on. There were some, some issues in the U S and, you know, there's just always political things going on that you have to, you know, kind of wear both hats and see both sides of it. Cause you know, ours aren't always the right ones, unfortunately, even though we think that and we strongly believe it, there's, there's people that think strongly against what, what we're doing and trying to change the game and, you know, having it more accepting and open people say, Oh, you know, why are you doing that? And, you know, until we can change those minds, I still think there's some, some roadblocks. We're, we're not going to change their minds. We just need to marginalize them and make them, make them what they are, which is tiny insignificant nothings. They're also a hundred percent wrong. So, and, and that is, and I don't want to get into those minefields because that's not why we're here. I do want to ask a couple questions quickly before we leave. One of the questions um, that David Amber asked you, which is the question I knew you were preparing to get because everybody asks it to you, was, is there a, a player in the NHL that is gay right now? And I don't like that question because I don't think it's the right question. There, statistics tell us there has to be. There's no way you could take a 700 sample of anybody and not have at least one be gay or what, or what have you. It's impossible just from basic math and statistics. The question I have is not, is there one? It is, what space is that person in at this point in time? Is that person deeply in the closet and doesn't actually know? Are they out to teammates? Are they out to anybody? That to me is far more important than is there one? Because is there one? Well, there's no doubt that there is. There has to be. And if you go into the past, there is no doubt tens and not multiples of people that have been gay who've played in the NHL. It's just a matter of where are they right now? What headspace are they in? That's the important question. And nobody, I don't think we ask, and I, I forgive people like David Amber for not asking it because that's not the first thing that's going to come to their mind. But when I ask that question, you know, that's the first thing that comes to my mind, and I assume it's the first thing that comes to yours. Yeah, and I, I don't know where the, you know, I'm not in locker rooms. You know, I can only speak from my experience, and I agree. I think I said that in the David Amber interview on Hockey Night in Canada that, you know, the numbers, they don't lie. Of 700-plus sample size of men, um, you know, I, 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 there has to be some, you know, just on numbers alone, but, um, where they're at headspace wise, you know, I, I hope that articles like mine, you know, help break down some barriers in the room or if a, you know, a Canadian kid, especially is, 
you know, or a Sidney Crosby fan or a, a, a McDavid fan or whichever, you know, that they see, okay, their superstars support me and my article. So they're, you know, they're, they're clearly on board for the cause, you know, and I hope that through that, through supportive quotes and through, you know, them publicly endorsing my story, but also the community, um, I think that only helps break down stuff, whether that's a professional player in a locker room right now that says, hey, the two superstars in our game um, are on board with this. Maybe that helps them sleep a bit easier at night to know that, you know, that those guys are on board. I, I don't know, you know, in the locker rooms where they're at, um, as opposed to telling people if they're waiting till their careers are done or if or what the other factors are. But, um, you know, I hope that we can see it in our lifetime, you know, and I hope I don't think we're too far away from it, you know, because, you know, the more you see it, people are expressing themselves and being, you know, the, the relaxed dress code, uh, just everything around the NHL, I feel, is changing in the right direction here. So I also have to ask the other question is, is this, how does this happen? Like, if you had to guess, like, how does this happen? Does this happen with somebody who comes out before they get drafted, which is how I think it's going to happen, because they're identifying younger and younger? Or is it somebody who's going to be in there or somebody playing at that level right now who's just going to take, take the plunge? Like, do you have any guess? Because, as I say, I, I don't think it's also the right question, but it's something I think about. Like, how is this going to eventually play out? And that's how I think it's going to happen, which is somebody is going to come out when they're much younger. They're going to happen to be very good, and it's just going to happen like that. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I do believe that the youth are identifying, you know, a lot younger now. And even the, you know, the confidential conversations that I've had through social media with with youth that are in the closet, you know, that are in the hockey world, whether it's players, officials, you name it, media, um, that, you know, are on the verge of coming out and they're, you know, in their twenties to teenagers. Um, I don't know. I could see it either way. I could see, you know, a young player like you think, or, or a pro that is just, you know, so confident and says, Hey, you know what, this is me and my contract signed and whatever, you know, and they're just kind of like I did, like, who cares, you know, and just is fed up with those sleepless nights. See, see, and... I, I want that ideal world to be where some NHL players like, I don't give an F and just do it. That would be great. That's my, that's like the way I want it to happen, but I don't know if it's going to, cause I also know what sport we're talking about. So yeah, yeah. I would like it to happen that way too. So let's uh, keep our fingers crossed that hopefully, you know, someone can, um, can do that. And if not, then it's a, it's a young one and I would love to represent them, you know, to know, uh, you know, uh, you walk a mile in someone's shoes, you know, I've been there and I, I live in the hockey world and to negotiate on a, an openly gay player's behalf with myself being openly gay would be, you know, I think that'd be a huge milestone and something that, you know, definitely, be, be historic. It would be notable. So as much as I'd like to spend another two hours talking about this, we can't do that because you have a life to live that is far more important than my own. Uh, so I'll wrap this up by saying, well, what is the biggest takeaway you've learned from your experiences and what do you want to care? How do you want to carry that with you for whatever you're going to do next? Now that you've broken down the big barrier, uh, what, what lessons have you learned and, and, and where, where do you see this all going for you? Yeah, I think it's important to, uh, you know, the, the, the reserves that I had, the reservations I had going into the article and doing it so publicly, you know, I remember talking to my parents about, well, why don't you just put up an Instagram or something, you know, and I said, hey, I really think that I could do something with the position that I have in the hockey world of being a young sports agent to, 
to really be a guiding light for this. And, um, you know, I didn't wake up at, at age 10 and say, you know what, in 30 or in, you know, in, in whatever years from now, I'm going to be this, you know, beacon and, and try and help change the game. You never say that, but everything is a strong, I'm a strong believer. Everything happens for a reason. And, you know, I moved to Toronto and switched companies for a reason. I, I became comfortable with myself and my sexuality and, you know, to do it so publicly is that, you know, my takeaways sitting back here, you know, when the article came out three and a half, four months ago, um, is that the big bad hockey world isn't that big and bad, you know, and that there is, we, I think we put these people on this, you know, whether it's players or, or executives or general managers or media members, you know, on this pedestal of, of, oh my God, they're almost superhero-esque, you know, but when you work in the game and, you know, I think you, and you humanize it and you know, these people on a different level than just seeing them on a Saturday night hockey night in Canada game and doing interviews and making millions of dollars. They're people just like us and they have compassion and they have, you know, empathy and they have siblings that are tied to a cause or they have, you know, uncles or father-in-laws or you name it, you know, and everyone, um, I think it's just that everyone deals with sexuality different, but I think it starts with the person that is going through it to be comfortable enough to really own it because people are going to react how you react. If I walk into a room and, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, that's Bane, he's gay, you know, and you kind of tiptoe around it. And I'm, I'm hesitant to bring a boyfriend out or anything like that. I think it's, it takes a bit of kahunas just to own it and say, yeah, this is my boyfriend and they're going to come to a dinner just like you would bring your girlfriend. And I think if you normalize it and humanize it, then, you know, that's how people are going to react around you is how you react. So I think it's all about how you portray yourself and that's what I've learned is just, you know, I, I go, I, you know, obviously before the article, I would think every day on it of what am I doing? When am I coming out? How's this article going to go? What's the reaction going to be like, you know, some sleepless nights. Now I'll go a week without even thinking about my sexuality. I'll just be like, okay, I got to worry on this. We're trying to close this contract or recruiting a new client or I'm watching, you know, the Edmonton Oilers a lot with Tyson Berry as my client, you know, and he's in Well, a- that could give you a lot of worry. I'm sorry. I had to do that. <laughs> No, I've got Tyson there in Edmonton, and he's an unrestricted free agent. So I've been watching a lot of Oilers games to, uh, you know, that's my job. I'm nervous to, too is... with the cap not going up anyway. So you know. Yeah. No. And, we're, and, and, and this whole thing called expansion draft, I would be worried about that too. But again, we could talk about this for hours. But you, you have agent things to do, and I have to edit this show, which is again, the former is more more important than the latter. I have never followed an agent on social media, but I do now. Uh, where can people find you if they want to keep up with your your life? Yeah, both my Instagram and Twitter are just at BainP, so B-A-Y-N-E, and then P for Pettinger, all one word. And, um, yeah, I'm trying to, you know, grow some an awareness there and, you know, happy to anyone that needs to reach out and talk like I like Brock and – and, um, you know, Scott did for me and Brian Burke to that extent, you know, I'm happy to, uh, you know, support the cause. And obviously I live it every day, especially in the hockey world and in the professional hockey world. So, you know, I, I, I you know, I want to say thanks to you for, for doing this and, and the podcast and the good work that you're doing on, on education and, you know, humanizing it and, and talking about it. Cause it doesn't have to be an elephant in the room, you know? And I think that's where, that's where we get into trouble when we try and sweep, whether it's, you know, issues or, things you need to talk about under the rug. Let's just get it all out there. And yeah, there is some people that are different than the norm, but doesn't mean you can't be successful, especially in hockey. And, um, you know, I just hope to, to pass that on and have a successful agency career and, you know, obviously find a partner and, you know, kind of, you know, I, I like talking about it and I, I'm happy to be an advocate for it, but I hope there's one day where, you know, it's frankly not a story and we can just, 
it's part of who people are and it's not a you know right or wrong type discussion it's just it's love and i hope that you know we can get to a day where where that's the case who else is going to make jokes when a coach says out of context you're not going to be banging each other down low when you bang the night before and you're about to get hammered the next night who else is going to make jokes about that it's going to have to be me it's just going to have to be me that was a that was a good soundbite from evison there i saw that and had to read it a few times on twitter just to make sure that i was reading it the right way again it's like it's like they're teeing it up just for me just for my jokes it's just fantastic i appreciate hockey doing all of these things that are extremely gay without actually knowing it that's my favorite part of the sport thank you again Pete. it has been an unbelievable pleasure and we will talk to you down the line okay thanks man